So uh, today we're going to take up um, the topic of love. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter five. We'll uh, turn there. Go ahead and turn there. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up your app and find our live event. You'll find the scriptures and the sermon notes and some other stuff there. Just search Heritage Park Baptist Church. If you need a Bible, go borrow one from the tech booth. Or if you need a Bible that you can keep, take it with you. It's our gift. We'll be happy to buy more Bibles. That's not a problem. Um, Here's uh, uh, where we are. Some of you have been around um, during this time. Some of you grew up around churches that celebrated Advent. Some of you, like me, did not. I didn't actually uh, know much about Advent until we got to... uh, so we got to Heritage Park and kind of built this into our culture as a church family where we take uh, these four weeks leading up to Christmas and, and um, kind of hit pause on some of the other things and think about these four themes. And so we start um, with the candle of hope. And what we're doing as we're lighting these candles is simply cueing ourselves visually. It's a, it's a good reminder for you and for me uh, to see this and go, that's hope right there. That represents hope for you and for me. Um, we talked about this three weeks ago that you and I, we have hope because God keeps his promises. Uh, never before has God said something and not fulfilled it. He has either already done it, he's in the process of doing it, or he's got plans to make it happen. He has not failed on a single promise that he has ever made. So when you and I face circumstances or sickness or some other situation, you and I can look at that mountain, stare down that thing, uh, uh, kind of look at the abyss that is out in front of us and say, hey, you know what? That's real. And it's, I mean, it may be painful. It may be hard. That is real. But I know something that's even more real, and that is a God who keeps his promises that births in us hope. The second candle that we light to cue us visually is this candle of peace. They put another one up here for this reason. Thank you for all who did that. Um, this candle of peace. The peace biblically is, is uh, this sense of shalom. It's this, it's this connectedness where instead of fraying and coming apart, um, this is in the in the most technical sense of those words. We have integrity. We're we're, we're together. Our, our lives are together. We have peace, and we have peace because God is in control. Again, looking at the situation, looking at the sickness, looking at the circumstance, staring out into the abyss or over the uh, uh, the edge. There, what we can say is, man, that's a crazy thing that we're about to step into and do. That's a, that's, a, that's a rough ride that is ahead. All I see are, are bad, bad, bad road signs. That's all we can see. But we know that God is in control. And so our world may be falling apart, but I myself, I am held together. I'm not holding it together. If I'm holding it together, how long is that going to last? About four seconds, right? Instead, I'm being held together. I'm being held together. How? Because God is in control. The third candle that we like to cue us and remember these themes is the theme of joy. The candle of joy. Not related to happiness, not necessarily unrelated, but not, it's not a, uh, joy is not some cause of happiness or or, or caused by happiness, but instead uh, joy is this kind of deep-seated satisfaction that we believe that God is who he says he is. 
When he says he's this, we can always count on it to be that. When he says he's faithful, we don't have to doubt that he's faithful. When he says that he's loving, we don't have to doubt that he's loving. We, when he says that he is a forgiver, we can bring all of our sin, even the gross stuff, even the stuff nobody knows about that we would never fess up in a million years, we can fess up to him because he's a forgiver. When he says he's merciful, we can go and in a moment we can find mercy there at the feet of Jesus. We can do that because God is who he says he is. The big takeaway that some of you gave me feedback on, and honestly, I don't get much feedback around here, so when I do, I try to listen. The big takeaway, I think, for a lot of us from last week was this, that um, some of us, when we're lacking in joy, uh, if, if, that, if that level is kind of up here, we try to address it at that level. So I'm lacking in joy. Where can I get more joy? I need to go down to the store or out there or do the thing or whatever in order to find more joy. That's not how it works, folks. Joy is a byproduct of experiencing grace. And so we talked about this last week that if we're having a joy problem at this level, we don't have to address it at this level. It's difficult even to address it at this level. We have to go underneath. We have to address it at the level of grace. And those who experience joy are those who live in this experience of grace. And so to know that God has spoken to us and that he has sent his son for us, that he has uh, rescued us, that he fights for us, that he hears us and his rule over us is for our good. All of those things are grace for you and for me. Therefore, when we experience that, joy kind of erupts out of there. And in the same way, today, as we shift and talk about love, um, so, so it is the same. That, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, but uh, sometimes it's not a love problem. Sometimes it's an experience of his grace issue that's causing our love problem. Today, we light the candle of love to remind ourselves, to cue our, um, our thinking, to, to just set our minds to this that we have love because God loved us first. That's it. We have love because God loves us first. Here in Ephesians chapter five, you ready? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So I want to talk for just a second. Uh, we'll, just, we'll come back to this here towards the end of the sermon, but I'll talk for just a second about aromas, smells, okay? Can we do this together? You have places or, or unique things that you like and don't like when it comes to smell, right? So let me just give you an example. Uh, how many of you right now could smell tire store? Like I did this the other day, walked into Discount Tire to get stuff, and you smell, you're like, there's something about that rubber thing or so you know you just kind of get that and you're like it's not pleasant I mean you don't want to you ladies you would never buy your husband oh day discount tire I mean that's just not a uh, husband's if she does get you that in your stocking I'm not confident that I mean maybe we just need to talk I'm just offering that as a option um uh, one of my favorite smells maybe you can identify with this it's when I, and I'm talking about holding a little bitty one, like a baby baby, you know, not, not an older, but a baby baby. And I call it baby head, you know what I mean? You get that smell where you stick your head down on the baby, and it's somewhere between like baby lotion and spit up, you know what I mean? It's that kind of, it's that kind of combination, but I love that. I, I'm like, oh, that's a baby. You know, just soak it in. Uh, I love that smell. How about, how about uh, can, who's with me on baby head? Anybody with me on that? I love that stuff. Um, uh, it, here's one that I'm confident that we can all agree on. Bacon. 
right? I, man, you cook that junk up in the morning. I'm not kidding. Uh, the dog in our house sleeps on Ruthie's bed. That, I mean, like in the back part of the house, you know what I mean? Like she has to go through about five doors to get out. That dog, you start cooking up bacon. That dog, you hear it comes down the stairs. Dick, 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 dick. Oh, welcome, Abby, to breakfast. You know, that kind of thing. So bacon, that's just aroma. So we're going to pick that up. I want you to hold on to that idea here in just a second. I mean, because we're going to pick it up in just a second. I want to deal with the text here first. Uh, Therefore, it says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And I want to talk about becoming imitators. The word there, be or become, uh, we'll talk about the process side of that in just a second, but become imitators. What I want you to see um, that you may not get in the text, I just, I don't want you to miss it in the in the midst of this kind of individual thinking is that uh, Paul uses a little English lesson here. Paul uses the second person plural. Okay. So in Texas, how would we say second person plural? Somebody y'all. Okay. Now earlier we had people in here from 12 different States. So we had to go through this whole explanation of y'all and when it flipped over to all y'all and all that. I mean, we had to go through all that as it stands y'all. Okay. And what he's saying when he says be or become imitators is y'all do this. That's the command. It's second person plural. So y'all need to do this. What I'm telling you that is this is a community project. This is a community event. You cannot uh, uh, do this on your own. That's why he puts it in the second person plural. Therefore, y'all become or be, be or become imitators of God as beloved children. Y'all do this, okay? It is, a, it is a community event. You cannot do this on your own. You can't. That it's why we as a church, we talk about circles and how important it is to do Sunday school and how important it is to be in a small group um, so you can see one another. You can't do it on your own. It requires others and their love. And here's what I would say to you. You do not become a person of God apart from the people of God. Folks, we need church. Now, for some that's a real struggle because you've been burned by church or you've had bad experiences, some of you horrific experiences at church. I'm here to tell you the worst of a religious institution is not what God has envisioned. You and I, we are transformed by the power of God as we are connected with one another. When he says, be or become imitators of God, what he's saying is, y'all do this. And while we are individually responsible for this, it's a, it's a community event. It's a corporate project for you and for me. We need church. It's a community event. Second thing, when he says, uh, y'all be or become imitators of God. This, what I want you to hear is that following his example makes us like him. Following his example makes us like him. As we do the things that he did, that's how we become like him. We, we, we do what he said to do, and that's what we do. So we, we, we walk the ways that he said to walk. So that's what we do. It, it's a process. Uh, it's not, we're not who we need to be yet, but we're not who we were either. And uh, the way he's talking about it here. Um, I just, uh, it's a little bit like some of you have been sick lately. I get that. And maybe somebody will say, Hey, I heard you were sick. Right. And they're kind of locating you somewhere. Maybe even putting an identifier on you. Hey, I heard you were sick. And typically one of two responses. Oh yeah. No, I'm feeling way worse than I was. And that's when you're like, Oh good. Where's the Lysol? 
get some of that hand sanitizer. Or they say, oh, no, 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 I'm feeling better. What, what I would say, hey, I heard you were sick. I'm trying to locate you somewhere. You're talking about process. I'm feeling worse or I'm feeling better. So that's kind of a negative example of this same thing. Um, we become like him as we follow him and do the things that he did. There's a process. That's why Paul uses the word that he does. When he says be imitators, it could also very well be translated become imitators. Hey, I'm not an imitator yet, but I'm better than I was. I'm not who I was then. I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet, but I'm in process. Become imitators. What would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. In context, back in chapter 4, verse 25, let's just think about some of the things that he would want us to do. Therefore, having put away falsehood, verse 25, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Would speaking the truth help you become more like Jesus? Yes. Would hearing the truth help you to become more like Jesus? Yes. As we follow him, we, uh, we become like him. Think about how your um, relationships uh, would change if indeed truth was a, a primary marker of them. Uh, here's verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry and don't sin. Has he driven in Houston? I mean, come on. But as we deal with our anger and as we walk this through, we become like him. Um, you can skip down to verse 29. How about this one? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or off of your keyboard, which is implied there but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What would your relationships, how would your relationships change if indeed what came out of your mouth gave grace? What would your marriage be like? What would your parenting be like? What would your friendship uh, relationship, those circles be like if indeed you, you spoke that in, in that manner? One more, verse 32, just skip down here. Be kind to one another. Just pause right here. I was just thinking about this in between services. How important is kindness today? I mean, you say the wrong thing in some social media platform and every person just vomits this vitriol on you, right? Be kind, people. Be kind. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. I mean, what, what if that marked our relationships? What, what does it mean to follow Jesus and follow his example? What does it mean to become like him as we follow him? This is the kind of stuff it means. Speak the truth. Manage your emotions that, that, that tend to creep up on you. Um, let, let your mouth uh, uh, be, be a blessing to others, to give grace to those. Be kind to one another and forgive one another. Those are the kinds of things that we need to do. And when we do those things, we become like Jesus. The word that Paul uses, become imitators, is where we get the English word mimic. We have kind of a snarky connotation now. Oh, you're mimicking me. You know. Uh, but back then, I mean, we're talking about doing what he does. I'll give you just a couple of brief examples. Um, again, back to babies here. Uh, this, this shows up, uh, uh, well, let me just pause and say this. Um, in, in light of that, kids are our examples. That's, that's why he says, um, 
uh, as you do this, you become imitators of God as beloved children. Kids are our examples. They're models for us to follow uh, in the kingdom. So uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Um, uh, I'm not sure moms do this near as much as dads, but when dads are feeding small children baby food, right? Like you crack open the peas and carrots or the uh, uh, bananas and um, apples mixture or the whatever you can manage the smell of. You know, you crack that sucker open, stir it up, and then you got the kid there in front of you and the bib is all laid out and you go in. Dads, every one of you knows this. You take the little thing, you, you go to stick it in your mouth and what happens to your mouth? Every dad in here knows. You get that and you go in and all of a sudden you find yourself involuntarily going, it doesn't matter if you're trying to land the plane or let the train go into the tunnel or whatever it was that you did to make your, here comes the car. Inevitably, as it approached, you open your big pie hole so that they would open theirs. I mean, this is what happened. Dads, am I right on this? I'm right. And I'm telling you, you... you, you go watch. At anywhere you go to eat, when there's baby food involved, the dad will be like, wake up the next morning, why? I got TMJ all of a sudden. Like, what's happening here? Because you're feeding your kid. That's why. So you're going to do that. And you, why did you do that? So that the kid will mimic, imitate you. They need food. You're giving them something they need. But in order to receive that, they have to imitate you. A father giving his kid what they need and setting an example for them to follow. This sounded familiar to anybody? Here's another one. Uh, Golfers, anybody golfer in here? You like golf in here? I like golf. Anybody heard of Phil Mickelson? Phil Mickelson? Phil Mickelson. Um, Phil Mickelson is a right-handed guy. He writes right-handed. He throws a baseball right-handed. Everything else he does is right-handed. He plays golf left-handed. It's the weirdest thing ever. Uh, he would go to. He and his dad would go to the driving range, and uh, as the story unfolds, you know, a right-handed golfer addresses the ball like this, uh, swings through, and little Phil was back here watching Daddy Mickelson, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. So little Phil planted himself in front of Dad. So when dad would swing back, he would mimic him. And when dad would swing through, he would mimic him. That's why Phil plays golf left-handed. He was imitating his father. Sounds a little bit like, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Those who are loved, love to spend time with and to do what their dad is doing. So we as beloved children love to spend time with our dad and love to do what he's doing. Kids are our models. As I said, with joy, uh, sometimes our problem might not be the actual love issue, but an understanding and experience of grace. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Here we go. Ready? Verse 2. And he says, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And what I'll tell you in this is walk in love and be imitators of God. Those are basically the same commands here, kind of parallel things. But, but he, he um, leverages some things. He kind of takes it out of the father-son and he sticks it, as Paul does, kind of centralizes it right on Jesus. 
So be imitators of God as beloved children, but walk, walk in love. How? Just like Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you as this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does that mean? It means, number one, that he sacrificed for you and for me. Right here in the middle of this, when it says Jesus loved us and he gave himself up for us, that's the gospel, folks, that Jesus, this is where Christmas, it's a beautiful thing, that Jesus was willing at the Father's command to leave heaven and come to earth. And in doing so, he lived a perfect life. And in going to the cross, he died a perfect death as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The hammer blow of the wrath of God was coming. Because sin had to be paid for. And so Jesus was willing to step into the gap and say, let that then God fall on me instead of on these people that you have created. And he then died as the perfect sacrifice and then rose again as the perfect Lord and Savior so that you and I could live with him forever and follow him forever. That's the gospel right there. He sacrificed for you and for me. And then that allows us to do all sorts of things. It allows us to be forgiving. That's what it said in chapter four, verse 32. Um, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ has forgiven you. That's how you do it. It allows us to do all these kinds of things. But his sacrifice does more than just change our legal standing. It also changes our relational standing. Oftentimes, justification, and and, and I guess maybe say it this way, justification, our right standing before God, uh, is is commingled with, it works alongside of this reconciliation that we are now rightly related to God. Not only do we stand right before the judge, but we are rightly related to the Father. That's the good news of the gospel, folks. It's not one or the other, it's both and. We get both of those. You and I then, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are rightly related to God. Not just justification, but also reconciliation. What kind of love does this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Do you have your Bible? Flip over to the book of 1 John, all the way to the back. Hit Revelation and then turn back about three pages. Um, If you ever want to uh, really get uh, into a good theological passage about love and the love that God has for us, John, in his fourth chapter of his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, he goes on an absolute tear about uh, the love of God. And what kind of love are we talking about? When it says, just as Christ loved you, what are we talking about? Um, Chapter 4, verse 9, 1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, by the way, that's Christmas right there. That's Christmas. Jesus was made manifest among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about a very personal kind of love. A love that steps into our world and then uh, uh, deals with whatever it is that's going on. Like he looks at our, in this moment, he's looking at our deepest need. Not, Not the stuff that we think that we need. He's looking at our deepest need and he steps in and says, those people are alienated from me and I need them reconciled to me. Therefore, I'm going to send my son so that they can have life. He's gonna die for them, the propitiation for their sins, where God, um, through Jesus, pays our debt and purchases his favor, and then he's going to bring life to them. That's a personal love. Well, it's good to know that God loves everybody. No, 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 no. That's, you're, you're missing it. He does love everybody, and I'm grateful for that. He loves you, and you over there, and you over here, and 
you back there? He loves you. A personal God has set his deep, eternal, passionate affection on you. What that does is that speaks to our deepest, deepest longing for significance. Golly, my feet hit the floor in the morning. Does my life count? Here's what I know. I know that I am loved by the God of the universe. It doesn't matter what that person said or what work numbers came in or what. I know that I am loved by the God of the universe. There's a place of significance in that moment right there. Keep going. Skip down, if you will, to verse uh, 17. By this... Love of God, excuse me, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Not just a personal love. They all came out as peas, by the way. I'm really, really trying to do that. But a perfect love. A perfect love. Some of us, all of us, have experienced imperfect love before. A love that is conditional. Hey, if you really love me, you would. Uh, a love that um, says one thing and then does another. A love, oh, I, I love you and I'm going to be with you forever, and then walks out the door. Or uh, any other numbers, a uh, number of ways that love gets perverted. Listen, that kind of love is not the love that God has for you. In every situation we, where we have experienced imperfect love, imagine the absolute perfect response. Then you get an idea of the zip code that we're talking about. There is a perfect love that God has, and it casts out fear. In other words, it deals with our need of security. There are lots of places where we could go for security. Lots of options out there. A lot of people raising their hand going, hey, over here, over here. A lot of, hey, think this way, do this thing. Go out and uh, This is the way to security. Like, we're going to trust the government to bring us security. No? No? Let's trust the retirement fund, the stock market to bring us security. No? How about our friendship circle? Because none of us have ever been betrayed by a set of friends or anything, Right? Any number of places that we could go, only one place has perfect love that casts out fear, and that is the love of God. What kind of love does he have for us? It's a personal love. It's perfect love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. It's a, what I would describe, a prior love. I mean that in this way, that before you woke up and did anything good or anything bad, in fact, before you were even on the scene, before you could earn it or, or um, lose it, before you were right or before you were wrong, before you said the right thing or said the wrong thing, before you got angry or you felt elated, before you did any of that, God chose to set his love on you. You didn't wake up one day and decide to love God. He loved you, and that then caused this response of love in you. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. And what that does is that speaks to my need of approval. Some of us have bigger needs of approval than others. Mine's probably the biggest in the room. I say that because if I root my uh, security and significance and approval on what you think or what that person thinks or that other thing or if we get or what, if, if my approval is based on my performance, I'm in trouble. If my approval is based on the fact that God, before I could do anything right or wrong, before I could do anything good or bad, said, hey, I love you, son. That's where approval has its best, best expression. So if you find a person 
who experiences this love of God and their significance and security and approval, uh, those deepest needs are met. You know what you find? You find a person who's very, very free to then go serve others. Strangely, in 1 John 4, verse 20, you know what he says? So don't say you love God and hate your brother. Instead, go love your brother. That's exactly what he says. You find a person who experiences this kind of love, it just oozes out of them. It, it pours out of them. And so that's, what, uh, that's where Paul goes next as well. Ready? Um, and walk, verse 2, uh, chapter 5, back in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. What kind of love? Personal, perfect, prior love. Um, and gave himself up for us. A, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He sacrificed for us, and then you and I, as we follow him, we get the opportunity then to serve others. We get the opportunity to serve others. In other words, we sacrifice for others. Just like Jesus set the pattern for us, so you and I, we sacrifice for others in, in a way that pleases God. When it comes to what this actually looks like, what does service actually look like in this moment? This is a great question, I think. Uh, is the person closer to God after I'm done with this? When we go and put sheetrock and insulation and stuff like that in homes, when y'all worked, so many of you worked yesterday, is the person closer to God because of this? If that's the case, that's the kind of service we want to bring. That's the kind of service that is a, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Is that person closer? It's not a matter of the degradation of myself. It's a matter of the exaltation of the other person. It's not a matter of me enabling somebody, but instead trying to empower them. To, um, to walk out the things that God has for them. Is the person, this is the key question for me, are they closer to God as a result? So let's go back to this whole aroma thing. He says here, this fragrant offering, this, smell it. We are so loved by God. And because we're so loved by God, we can give our lives away and love others and love them well. And so why then does this tie to service? Because genuine love does this, right? This is what genuine love does. And as a result of that, as a byproduct of that, something really incredible happens. You're sitting there eating. And you've had plenty of chips and salsa. And now they have brought out your favorite enchiladas. And you sit with your friend or coworker or spouse and you're like, God, you bless me with enchiladas. Thank you. And all is well in your world. You're halfway through the enchiladas. The people behind you have ordered and they're waiting on their food and all of a sudden it hits from the kitchen. You know what that is? That's fajitas coming out right there. It's getting louder. Right, it's coming down. And they plop it down right behind you at the table. And all of a sudden, the smoke and the sound and the smell, it's all kind of wafting over the dividing line. And you are not grateful for your enchiladas anymore. You think to yourself, what kind of idiot orders enchiladas when I could have had the glorious, sizzling wonderfulness of fajitas? And you turn around and be like, hey, you want to switch or anything? I mean, you're trying to do everything you can to get into that. You didn't want fajitas. You wanted enchiladas. You didn't want fajitas until what? The aroma 
gain. We are so loved by God and we can love others. And one of the great byproducts of loving others is as we pour out our lives as a fragrant offering, as an aroma, it creates appetites in others that were not there before. We're a little bit over time. I'm going to tell this one story. I didn't tell it at 8.30. I'm at the dollar store yesterday picking up bags for hams tomorrow. Lady, three people back, goes, you sure have helped us a lot. Who's she talking to? What do I mean? Ooh. I turn around over two other people having this conversation about how we as a church went and mucked out their house and helped them. We got them some sheetrock and that kind of stuff. I had no idea the lady's name. Hey, do you have a ham for Christmas? No, sir, we don't have much. Come down. We got hands. Come on down. We could we should do that. Um, by the way, Johnny mentioned this. I don't know if you heard. We kind of originally prayed for 30. We're like, no, let's pray for 100. Let's dream big. And we're going to end up giving away 300 hands. Glory to God on that. So um, anyway, she's, she's hollering. And I figure out I've got the 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 flood relief shirt on with the logo on the back. Y'all sure did help it. Oh, thank you so much, man. I'm glad. How's the half? We go through all of this kind of stuff. And I just say, hey, listen, tell me about you and church. She goes, eh. But listen, we'd love to have you any old time. Anytime. We got all sorts of people with all sorts of stories. We'd love to have you anytime. I think I may try that sometime. The aroma of your service because you loved her well, created an appetite in her she didn't have before. She was settling for enchiladas. And your fajitas came into her life. <laughs> you are so loved, church. You are so loved. We get an opportunity to go love others. As a byproduct of that, creates in them something that they've never had before. That's going to be true of families here. That's going to be true of houses that we're in right now. Um, that's going to be true of your neighbors that you get to converse with and your friends and your coworkers. Let's let that be true. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. It's such a silly little <laughs> illustration, but thank you, God, for that. Uh, thank you that you use us imperfect. God, are we imperfect? But you use us to you use us to bring things into people's life that it's unbelievable. It really is. Thank you for the opportunity to participate in your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. God, from presents to schools, to houses, um, to conversations this week, to all these other things, I pray that these people right here in this service right now they would experience your love and they would be able to pour that out. And as a result of that, as a byproduct of that, things would change in somebody else's life too. God, give them opportunities to love well this week. And then God, open up their mouths and let them, uh, let them speak. Let them bear witness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.